So I have read books on preaching. I've taken classes on preaching. I've studied on preaching. And one of the things that they tell you is your introduction is really important. That you need to hook the audience. You need to make sure that it's clear that this message is going to be relevant and important and that they need to hear what you're saying, right? So that's the hook. That's the introduction. It's huge. So my introduction today is sex. Introduction done. I just accomplished all that. (laughs) So we're going to talk about something that's very explicit. If you have kids in here, and they can handle that, great. Like, if your six-year-old can handle it, excellent. If your 16-year-old cannot, then you know you got a moment to figure out what to do. So it's going to be explicit. Bible is explicit on intimacy and sex. It doesn't blush. I might blush. The Bible does not, okay? So we are in the gospel of the kingdom. It's Jesus talking about, I am the king. I'm bringing a kingdom with me. And in this kingdom, here are some things that matter. And he's in a section of this that he's saying, hey, in the old way, you heard it said that this is the way to do things. I'm telling you, this is the new way. And it's exceeding the righteousness of the Pharisees. That's the whole goal. Like they they just did checklist Christianity. Jesus says, I want heart. No, not checklist Christianity. They did checklist religion. I want heart Christianity. I want a different way, a deeper way. All right, so verse 27 Chapter five of the book of Matthew. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, right? 10 commandments. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent We all know what that means. I don't think I need to talk about that. You know what lustful intent means. It's not a glance. It's been said the first look is free. The second one will cost you everything. Everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, and throw it away. For it is better. Comparison now on life. Here's the better life. It is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members, then that your whole body go into hell. Jesus has no fear of controversial subjects. Just tackle them, dive in. And I think what we have here is Jesus is saying, this is the old, this is the new. I think we need to do the same thing. That there's a current view on sex and, and all this kind of stuff. And then there is a kingdom view of it. So I'll give you the the current view of sex is this. Sex is everything. Your very identity is now tied to sex. Like no time in human history have we ever had this idea that now everything about you is tied to who you have sex with. 
Categories are made for it, right? Riots are formed over it. It's everything. We have become hypersexualized because of the two Ps, phones and porn. So the average age that someone in America now is exposed to pornography is nine years of age. I don't know an adult who has not seen pornography, right? And pornography, whether we want to admit it or not, shapes the way your brain thinks. It rewires your brain. And an interview I saw that just kind of blew me away, but I think there's a ton of truth to it, is you can look it up. If you've ever, ever seen the movie, The Matrix, a bunch of them, okay, the, the guys that made them, they're called the Wachowski brothers. They are now the Wachowski sisters. And so Lily Wachowski was a Wachowski brother, now a Wachowski sister. Lily Wachowski was interviewed and was asked like, what led you down the transgender road? What, what happened? And this was Lily Wachowski's answer. I was watching trans porn and something unlocked in my brain. Whoop-dee. I can't tell you how many times I've sat in an office over there and sat with a man who has recounted the last four or five years of his life. And it's, I, I, it's rated X stuff he's doing in our community. And it all begins with, I started looking at porn. And porn took me down a highway to hell. We are hypersexualized. We have cheapened sex. We've commodified sex, right? Sex sells. You go and look at a, a magazine with a beautiful car on it, right? 55 Chevy or a Ferrari or a Volkswagen or whatever you like, right? What do they always have with this beautiful car? A woman in a bikini. We're not at the beach, but we need a woman in a bikini right there. Is that honest? If it was honest, it would be a balding, paunchy man in greasy overalls hugging the car. I love this car, right? But that wouldn't sell anything, right? <laughs> I don't want that hanging up in my garage. That's gross. It's you, man. It's you. That's current view. It's everything. It's all-encompassing. You can't go anywhere without hearing it, reading it. It's everywhere. There's a kingdom view of sex. It's very different. And the kingdom view of sex is this. It is a sacred gift from God. And the Bible says this, that sex is part of this thing that we call marriage, which is whole body and whole life commitment to one another. And sex is only to be inside of whole body, whole life commitment, one man, one woman inside the confines of marriage. And when it's like that, it's unbelievably good. And the Bible is unblushing when it comes to sex inside of the confines of marriage. It's beautiful. It's brilliant. Sometimes I think the church makes a mistake, especially with kids, where they get this idea like sex is dirty, save it for your marriage. What? That's crazy, right? No way. The Bible says it's a beautiful, sacred gift that's brilliant. Let me just read for you two little texts, both from the Song of Solomon. One of them is a husband looking at his wife and talking about her, and the other is a wife looking at her husband and talking about him. So this is the husband looking at his wife. He says this, your stature is like that of a palm tree and your breasts are like clusters of fruit. I will climb the palm tree and I will take hold of the fruit. Do I need to explain that? Right? <laughs> That's pretty, okay, we get that, right? Husband to his wife. 
wife to her husband. Listen to what she says. My lover's hair is wavy and black as a raven. His lips are like lilies dripping with myrrh. His body is like a polished ivory tusk decorated with jewels. His mouth is sweetness itself. This is my lover and this is my friend. Wives, one note, polished ivory tusk. Do I need to explain? (laughs) Right? That's the Bible. That's scripture, unblushing about it. That sex is this brilliant, beautiful gift given to a man and a woman inside of whole body, whole life, commitment to one another, and it's brilliant. But then Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 30, look out. That same gift can be twisted, can be corrupted, and instead of bringing you to heaven, Jesus twice says, it'll take you to hell. That sex, when it is misused, the delight turns dangerous. That sex is never fun. It's never just fun. Sex is taking you somewhere. Either it's taking you to heaven and it's brilliant and it's bonding and every single thing like sociologists and chemists now that looks at the human body, when a man and woman have sex, hormones are released that actually cause you to grow grow closer and closer together. That sex inside of marriage, it's like recovenanting over and over and you get closer and closer and it's heaven and it's brilliant and it's beautiful. But outside of that, Jesus says, it'll take you to hell because sex was built by God to do something to us, to reestablish our covenant, to say, I don't belong to myself. I belong to you. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to me that no longer am I autonomous and doing my own life by myself. I've denied that part of my life. Now I give myself to you, my lover, my friend, my wife, my husband, and it's brilliant and beautiful and produces something that is heavenly. But outside of that, it's hell. And we already know that, right? We already know that. Like without that covenant, like when when you say to a man, or you say to a woman that you're not married to, you mean the world to me. And then they they respond, well, why don't we get married? And their response is, well, it's complicated. No, it's not. You just said, you don't actually mean the world to me. That's what you're saying, because we all know it. It's supposed to be whole body, whole life commitment for life. Outside of that context, sex is actually violent. It's dismembering. C.S. Lewis put it like this. I think it's such a brilliant analogy. He said, sex outside of marriage is like eating food to taste it and then vomiting it up when you're done with it. It's not, I want, it, I want that food to become a part of me and belong to me. It's, I just want the taste. And when I'm done with the taste, I'm vomiting it up. I'm done with it. It's dismembering. It's violent. That's what it is. And sadly, Sociologists that are studying hookup cultures and those kind of things, they're finding that especially girls that have been involved in that culture because they've turned their emotions off so many times, time and time again, just for the taste, but not to belong, that all of a sudden when they want to get married, the emotions that you need for marriage 
companionship and loyalty and belonging, they can't turn them on because they've been killed somehow inside of them. And they don't know how now to be a person that has whole body, whole life commitment to one another. And it's sad and it's lonely. And Jesus says, it's hell. Because there's a giant difference between love and lust. Giant difference. Lust is hungry. Anyone will do, any woman will do, any man will do. Love is, I'm going to be patient and wait for that particular man, that particular woman that God has for me for whole body, whole life commitment. Very different. Love is trusting. I'm gonna trust my life to him. I'm gonna trust my life to her. Lust is uncertain. There's games being played. You never know what kind of ground you're standing on. Love desires to be known. Remember that when you started dating, you wanted to tell your future wife, your future husband, every secret you had. They had to know everything about you because that's what love does. It makes you vulnerable, naked and unashamed with another person. Brilliant and beautiful, heavenly and wonderful. That's what happens. Lust says, I only want you to see my Instagram life. I don't want you to actually know who I really am. Can you see the difference there? One's heavenly, the other takes you to hell. That's what happens. In Hollywood, what's so interesting to me is if you watch rom-coms or Hollywood flicks on chick flicks, they'll flirt with lust, but all of those movies, what do they end in? Love. Because even Hollywood knows lust is hell. Love is heaven. So what do we do? We live in a current society that has this hypersexualized, sex is everything, just it's hammered into us. What do we do? What do we do about it? What's Jesus's solution? If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, right? If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Is Jesus serious here? If he was serious about cutting off your hand, he's talking about the wrong body part, right? What Jesus is saying is this sexual sin is never to be taken lightly. It's producing something. It's producing hell. And it's so sacred and it's such an important gift, it must be protected. My best analogy is of a nuclear reaction. A nuclear reaction inside of a nuclear reactor, concrete, just safe, it has control rods, has these things designed to make it function correctly. A nuclear reaction inside of that, brilliant. Lights get turned on, doors get open, your Tesla gets charged, your phone gets charged, right? All kinds of great stuff happens inside of a concrete covenant, if you would, control rod. That same nuclear reaction outside of that nuclear reactor, what happens? Hell. Look at pictures of Hiroshima or Nagasaki. It's hell on earth. That's the idea behind this. It's so good, it has to be protected, right? It's, it's like nuclear power. So I was reading this article. There was this big report out on marriage and happiness. 
And I just read an article that was looking at the report. And I sent this to all staff because I found this fascinating about this report. I'll read it to you. Quote, no change has altered the fabric of American life so profoundly as the decline of marriage. This is not a Christian article at all. It's a, his name is Rob Henderson. He's a PhD guy. No change has altered the fabric of American life so profoundly as the decline of marriage. One reason for this is the rise of cohabitation. The number of Americans cohabitating with their romantic partner has more than doubled over the past three decades. Interestingly, a recent survey found that men in cohabitating relationships are just as satisfied in their relationship as married men. Well, of course they are. But women in cohabitating relationships are much less satisfied than married women. Much of social progress was supposedly intended to benefit women and instead ended up benefiting men. Ah, perhaps this is one contributing factor to the paradox of declining female happiness. Women used to report having higher well-being than men. Over the past several decades, though, this has reversed. Women's self-reported happiness has plummeted. Today, men report higher well-being than women. Men are happy cohabitating. Women are miserable. Who is Jesus talking to in verses 27 through 30? If you looked at a woman with lust, right? Cut off all the pronouns are masculine. Who is Jesus talking to? He's addressing men. Now, some people want to be, well, you know, it's just men. And so, no, I think Jesus is a really good teacher. And if you want to talk to men and women, he would have. You know why he's talking to men? Because strong societies throughout history have trained their sons, their men, to honor and to defend women and to cut off anything in their life that is causing them to take something that does not belong to them, to cut off anything in their life that is causing them to treat women poorly, to deny themselves. Strong societies have done that. And then women are happy. But when you don't, women are sad. Like today we mock the knight in shining armor, don't we? It's antiquated and patriarchal. Really? I think there's a nobleness to it, that men get in between harm and women and children, that that's actually innate to the way that men have been designed, that we're supposed to do that. We're supposed to do this right here, cut off anything. Cut off anything that's gonna hurt a woman, period. Be dead serious about it. I tell my boys all the time, men are givers, boys are takers. Do not take what does not belong to you. Do not take what belongs to some other husband in the future. Do not take it. Men are givers, not takers, right? I can't remember a time in my life where I've dealt with more women that are more worried, fearful, anxious, and on medication. And it's just been 17 years that I've been at Edgewater. It's just skyrocketed. Jesus is talking to men. He's talking to men. He's saying, listen, if you know Hebrews, 
and the way the Hebrew thought was. Read the book of Proverbs. Your right eye and your right hand was the way that you looked and interacted with the world. That's what it was. Jesus is saying, if there's anything in you that's causing you to interact with the world, anything in you that's causing you to be lustful and head down a hellish path, he's saying, cut it off. Deal with it. It'll kill you. It'll trap you. It will eat you alive. It is changing your very brain. You're seeing the world differently. It's the path to divorce and fornication and adultery and children being molested and rape and trafficking of humans. That's why Jesus is saying, cut it off, smash it. Is your phone worth hell? Is a computer worth hell? Well, Matt, I use it for my job. Get a different job. That's how serious Jesus is. In and out's hiring right now. They pay pretty good and they give you a good burger, right? That's how serious Jesus is right here. That's why he's saying this, that this is not something that can be taken lightly. Sex is never just fun. It's either taking you to a destination that's going to be heaven or hell. And we have a group here called 423 Ministries. And you can sign up. We're not gonna ask you to raise your hand if you struggle with pornography, right? That's not gonna work. And 423 Ministries is completely anonymous. About six months ago, it was in December, I was trying to figure out our 423 Ministries because it's actually an outside organization that does them. And I was trying to find out leaders and I couldn't find out leaders or anyone in any of the groups. They're like, no, it's all anonymous, Matt. I'm like, well, I'm trying to just get a handle on. Nope, we can't give that to you. That's how strict it is because it's such a shameful, hard thing. You need anonymity. And that's what these groups are. You get accountability and anonymity. Sign up. You can sign up online, sign up on our website. There will be two people because uh, there's one for ladies or there's one for men right outside at the information desk. There's cards. Jesus is saying, listen, this will take you to hell. Cut it off. Cut it off. This sacred, beautiful, incredible gift of sex can be used by the enemy to steal and to kill and to destroy. So cut it off. So let me try to apply this thinking to single people and to married people. First married people. If you're married in here, if you plan on getting married in here, if you know somebody that's going to get married in here, this is a great verse. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Listen to what it talk, talks about how to get married. For this is the will of God. You want to know God's will? Your sanctification. What does sanctification mean? Becoming like Jesus. Romans 8, 29, that we are to be conformed to the image of the Son. The goal of sanctification is to become like Jesus. This is the will of God, your sanctification. How do you do that? That you abstain from sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is this bucket, this Greek word bucket that you could pile everything in. Adultery, fornication, pornography, lust, all of it goes into that bucket. It's a giant catch-all that each one of you know how to control his own body, how to take a wife for himself in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know 
God. There's a right way to get married, and there's a wrong way to get married. The wrong way is the lust like Gentiles. There's wrong motivations to be married. You know that? I'll give you a few. It's imagining that your spouse is a God where they have to be this certain kind of standard all the time that you worship them. Beware of that. That sets your spouse on a pedestal that they could never possibly attain. Every day they have to look perfect. Every day. And what happens in that kind of marriage is there's all this jealousy and possessiveness. It becomes a hell. Because men can make great husbands, but they make terrible gods. And women can make great wives, but they make terrible gods. It's a lustful, evil way of viewing another human. We're all flawed. We're all sinners. You're covenanting together to work for holiness and sanctification. Another bad one is this. I call it the project marriage. I'm gonna fix him up. Usually ladies do this. I'm gonna, he's a project, I'm gonna fix him up. No, you won't. It's gonna be hell for you, right? No, you don't understand. Oh, well, I do. I've been through a lot of these, right? I mean, you're just gonna become his mom. That's what you're gonna become. And he's gonna love it. He's gonna sit around at home, smoke pot, play video games. You're gonna work, pay the bills, do all the work. And you're just gonna finally get sick of it, right? Why would he possibly change? Who wouldn't want someone to do that for you all the time? Fix all your meals, take out the garbage, work hard. I get to play video games, smoke pot, and stay at home. No, he's never going to change, right? That's a bad marriage. Here's the worst one. It's called the void marriage. They just, they just fill a void in my life. Ooh, as believers, we're supposed to be full of Jesus. There's not supposed to be a void. If you're looking for a man or a woman to fill that void, look out, look out, because they'll do it for a little while, but then the void will come right back. But he makes me feel like a woman again. She makes me feel like a man again. Okay, look out. You better know your identity before you jump into a marriage. You better be full in your identity in Christ before you decide to run into a marriage. Because look out. It'll change pretty quick. It'll change. Paul says, here's how you do it. You honor, you honor your spouse. The way that marriage works best is when there's honor in it. The concrete covenant of, I am honoring this person above anyone else on earth. I'm honoring the vow I made 23 years ago to my wife. I'm honoring that. I didn't realize how like crazy this was until my 16th wedding anniversary. Charity and I went out to eat. We go into town here, we're sitting there, the waitress comes up and she's like, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're celebrating our anniversary. Oh, great. How many years have you guys been married? We've been married 16 years. I don't think that's anything, right? There's another 60 years in us at least. So I'm like 16 years. She's like, whoa, how in the world have you stayed married for 16 years? What is your secret? And to this day, I don't know why I said this. I looked at her and I said, because I promised. That's why. She just said, oh, let me get the appetizers and just walked off. She's expecting something squishy, right? No, I promised. The only way a marriage is safe is when you say, I am honoring that vow until death do us part. The only way a marriage is, can be open and naked and unashamed is when I am honoring that vow. You won't scare me off. You can tell me whatever you need to tell me. You won't scare me off because I'm in it for another 60 years. 
That's how marriage is safe and strong, where you honor your vow, period. Okay? I honor my wife's words above anyone else on earth. God's words, number one. My wife's words are number two. And I've said this before to her. I've said, I don't care if I win the world if I lose my wife. You're more important. Your words are honor above anyone else. I listen to your words above anyone else. If, if, if someone wants to knock me off my game, my wife has the power to do that. No one else really does. I can be like, ah, you're just whatever. You're messed up. It's you problem. Okay, I do that to my wife. And her words have a power. And I give honor to her words above anyone else on earth. Power. Honor. Husbands, honor your wives. Honor your vows. Honor the words that she says to you. Honor them. Put them above anyone else. Paul says, it's honor. Honor. That's number one. If you're single in here, we have a culture that screams at you, don't wait. That's stupid. Why would you? So why would we want to wait? Let me try to explain it like this. Anyone in here hear of this thing called inflation? Right? What's inflation? It makes steak a lot more expensive. That's what inflation does. So we have this money. It's paper. It's not backed by anything. The only thing that backs it is Washington, D.C. says we will protect the value of that piece of paper. I'm not sure that they do it anymore, but they claim that they're doing it, right? So this piece of paper, because it's backed by our government, then you're allowed to use it to buy stuff, right? But if there's problems in an economy, what happens is you get inflation. So every day that dollar becomes worth less and less. It becomes devalued. So Zimbabwe, I think about six or seven years ago, went into what's called hyperinflation. And they printed a $100 trillion bill because they're in hyper hyper, hyperinflation. So on Monday, that $100 trillion bill would buy you a BMW. On Tuesday, it would buy you bread. On Wednesday, you'd use it to start a fire. That's how fast their money was being devalued, right? I think there's an economy that God has on sex. It's like that, that God says intimacy, intimacy, I, I, I need to keep it, the value of it high. So I'm going to put some, some, protection around intimacy, right? So I'll just say, here's base, God's basic economy. And it's across cultures, it's across time. Basic economy is this, men want intimacy. And God has said, okay, if you want intimacy, get married. And that's been the norm through human civilization. That's been the norm through history. Men want intimacy? Okay, if you want intimacy, great, get married. And what you see in cultures across the world is there's always been a bar for men to get over in order to get intimacy. Bring six cows and marry my daughter, right? There's some kind of a standard that's expected. Get a job, do something so that the value of this thing, this commodity is kept high. It's been that way for a long time. In America, it used to be get a job, shave, brush your teeth, put on cologne, wear some nice shoes, don't do this, don't do that, right? Do start doing these things, open the door, say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, meet my death, right? There's all, we've always had them. And it kept the value of intimacy high until about 60 years ago. So 60 years ago in America, we had this thing called the sexual revolution. And there's a bunch of stuff you can read about. It's fascinating, fascinating. And there was all these things. There was the war was happening. 
uh, unpopular war. There was like drugs were, were now coming onto the scene. All of a sudden people were taking drugs. So that changed people. And then this thing called birth pills, birth control, excuse me, was invented. And that, those, those combinations changed, I say, drastically changed the world as we know it, the sexual revolution. So what happened after the sexual revolution was this. Women, because of the pill, they could act like men, right? There's no like danger now of, uh-oh, this is gonna change the rest of my life. Women could act like men. And men realize, wow, because the economy has changed, I don't have to do all these high bar things anymore because all the values on everything has gone down. I could actually act like a slob and still get intimacy. Wow, this is pretty good. And if you're a young man and you're thinking, well, I like that, that works out for me. Does it? Are we okay? Am I okay? Because I'm the product of that time. My dad, product of sexual revolution, 60s and 70s. So my dad figured out pretty quick, hey, I can, I can, I call it dine and dash. I can taste the food and I can get out without paying the bill. So he has my older brother, myself, my sister, and my younger brother, and he just leaves us. Now, is that okay? Wasn't okay for me. Wasn't okay for my older brother. Wasn't okay for my sister. Wasn't okay for my mom. Wasn't okay for my little brother. Because I needed someone to demonstrate, here's how you become a man. Here's how you treat a woman. Here's how you fix a car. Here's how you change a tire. Here's how you live life as an upstanding person. And there was no one there for me. So the new economy that I experienced in my life was real simple right? Men act like slobs, women can act like men, and the kids get run over. And I think if you want to know what's wrong in our society today, it started about 60 years ago. We started sowing to the wind, and we reaped the whirlwind. Jesus would say, we've created hell on earth, that we're bankrupt. Why do you wait? Because love is patient. Why do you wait? Because Intimacy, sex is sacred and it's good and it's valuable. And God, your heavenly father has designed it for whole body and whole life commitment. And inside the confines of that, oh, it's heaven on earth. There's nothing better. You trust each other. You're vulnerable. You're naked. You're unashamed. It's brilliant. It's wonderful. So you're gonna face a choice. Either you're gonna trust society that wants to steal, kill, and destroy you, or you're gonna trust your savior who loves you. That's why Jesus says, trust me, cut off anything. Cut off anything that is taking you down a lustful route because the end will be destruction. If you're young, be very careful about the movies you're watching. They're creating categories in your head about how life is to be lived. Be careful about the shows that you get yourself into. They're creating in your life categories about how life should be lived. You, you don't think Hollywood knows that? They can train you and me. They've been doing it for years. They'll train you. Be careful of the books that you consume, right? Fifty Shades of Gross. I had a Christian say, hey, can I read this book? I just said, why? Why? I've never read it. I'm never going to read it. Why would you want to read that? I don't understand it. It's creating a category. Look out. Look out. Jesus says, cut off anything. Lean into what is sacred and beautiful. Lean into what has created 
heaven on earth for generations, that we can be an outpost of heaven right now, right here, because we're not living the way of the world. That creates hell. That's why you wait. Jesus knows the right way. Well, Matt, I didn't wait. Matt, I didn't honor my vows. Matt, what about me? We get to go to the table here in a second. And here's the good news of the table. You and I come to the Father, not because we didn't cuss last week, not because we didn't do something wrong last week. You and I get to come to the Father, why? Because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. That's why. That the, one of the most important verses in the Bible to me is Romans 1.16. You wanna memorize one? Memorize this one. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it, singular, is the power of God unto salvation. Jesus hit some hard subjects here. Last week, we looked at anger. Maybe you struggle with anger. You won't control your anger. It will get the best of you. You'll lose it. This work, we're talking about lust, right? You won't fix your lust. You won't fix your porn problem. You won't fix your sex addiction, whatever they want to say it is. You're not going to fix it. Maybe you're here and you say, I've, I've had to deaden my emotions because I was naked and vulnerable with someone that did not love me, that consumed me and then vomited me back out. Now it feels like I'm dead on the inside. You won't resurrect yourself. But I'll tell you the good news, Jesus can. Jesus can control your anger. Jesus can control your lust. Jesus can resurrect what you feel is dead in your life. That's the good news. We come to Jesus every time. I sat with a woman a couple days ago was telling me about a life that is misaligned and troubling for her and for me listening as well with the Titus II lady. I just said, is, is Jesus greater than this? Yes, he is. Jesus is greater than you. He's greater than my sin. He's greater than my failure. He's greater than the hell that I've created. That's the good news. That where I'm weak, what does the Bible say? Jesus is strong. 